Good morning, Bay Hills. Grab the study guide that's in your program. Pull it up on your phones or your Bibles. 1 Samuel 17 is where we're going to be. As you're doing that, just a quick couple items. Uh, we got Easter coming up shortly. Uh, if uh, you can help with the Easter egg hunt, think about doing that. The week before, during, uh, there's a table back there you can sign up. Uh, Easter services, we have five Easter services, three of them here, two of them at our other campus, just three minutes from here, live worship and teaching at both. And I'm asking you to please consider either coming to the early service or going to the, one of the services over there. Last service, this service, we ran out of chairs which is a great problem. I don't think we want to tell our Easter guests, though, that they have to stand, right? <laughs> and so we need your help. Uh, with, with spring break this week, so we had a little space this, uh, this service, but please think about doing that. Uh, and um, so that, that would be a huge help. But the main thing about Easter is the cards you got on your seat, inviting uh, cards to invite people to the Easter egg hunt or to invite them to Easter Sunday, the new series we're doing, uh, When Pigs Fly, How to Get a Miracle in Your Life. And that's the main thing, guys, is let's leverage what's happening to uh, have our friends, coworkers, family members take a step closer to Christ. They're more likely to uh, come on Easter than any other day of the year. Uh, don't be that person that a week after Easter you find your cards on your desk or something or your car or your purse and you have to throw them away because they're too old. Don't be that person. Give them, put them on people's, you know, windshield, wipe, uh, windshield wipers. That dash, and get rid of them because it's amazing how that'll that'll get people talking and such. Um, our small group sign up start next week, but we have one of them we're signing up for our discipleship class on apologetics, which is a big word that means all the kind of the the, the conversation, rational pieces of our faith. So creation, evolution. Problem of suffering, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? World religions and cults, uh, the resurrection and, and the rationale behind that and the evidence behind that, the historicity and archaeology of the Bible, it's super interesting. And so I want to, if you're interested, you need to sign up today because it's starting in a week. That's why we have this sign up going on right now. And then small groups, all the other ones will sign up pretty soon. So anyway, that's what's going on. A lot of good stuff in your program you can read later, but we are continuing in our series, I Got Faith. And if you notice on, your, on, on the title this morning, the topic that we're going to be talk, uh, discussing is that this idea that your faith expectations matter. What you expect to happen in life matters. It matters in, and influences the outcome. It matters and it influences the progress of your faith, and it matters and it influences your overall spiritual journey. Your expectations matter. Now, I could have given you 20 verses. I'm, I picked four just to give you an idea of the emphasis that the New Testament places on you, we're going to call it, uh, being a faith optimist and focusing on elevating your expectations about what God wants and can do in your life. Let me show you the verses. The first two, Matthew 9 and Mark and Matthew 21, is the same story, just different Gospels, where Jesus is talking to his disciples about this tree that withers, and, and he's trying to encourage them. And in the middle of that, he says this, everything is possible for one who believes. Stop right there. That first word's a pretty big word. Everything? Everything is possible for the one who believes. So there's a condition. There's a condition there. Matthew chapter 21, 21. Jesus said, if you have faith, there's your conditional promise. If you have faith and you do not doubt. Now, that's tough. 
I admit that. That's tough. Have faith and don't doubt. You can say to this mountain, throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. Mark chapter 11. Whatever you ask in prayer, I'm assuming and hoping some of you will stop by the prayer room afterwards. We'd love to pray with you. I'm assuming and hoping throughout the week you're praying for stuff. Stuff going on in your life. Stuff going on with your kids and your family. Stuff. Well, whatever you ask for in prayer, if you believe, uh, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. In other words, before God answers your prayer, you have to have the expectation that he can and wants to answer that prayer. And that plays a part as to whether you get it or not. That's what he's saying. The anchor verse for this morning, Matthew chapter 9, it's the the cleanest, simplest way to say this principle. According to your faith, it will be done to you. And so you kind of have this, this, I need faith, but but as you have faith, God blesses you. It's just, you have to understand that, that increasing your faith and trusting in what God can and wants to do in your life has an impact and an outcome in terms of what happens in your spiritual journey. So I want to flesh that out for you this morning, and, and I want to spend the first kind of 10 minutes convincing you that you, you, this is important, okay? So let me give you the two the extremes. You've got the faith pessimist and the faith optimist. So one example uh, of the faith pessimist would be Job, Job chapter 3. Everything I fear and dread comes true. You know people like that? Every, if something bad's going to happen to me, everything is going to happen to me. Bad stuff. Now, uh, let's cut... Uh, 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 let's cut Job a little, bit of, a little bit of slack. If you know his story, his life has a period of, of, of uh, utmost suckiness right there, right? And I'm going to assume you're not going through what Job went through, but, but there are people like that. They just kind of, oh, everything's going to go horribly. The faith pessimist. On the flip side, you have Paul as an example of, of the faith optimist. But if you, wanna, if you want a book On faith, optimism, and expectations, read the book of Philippians. Because you talk about Paul being that kind of person. One example of many I could have given you. Philippians chapter 1. Paul says this, because of this, I rejoice. Stop right there. What's the this? Something good must have happened. Right? What happened? Did he get a promotion at work? Did he get a bonus? Right? Is he going on a cruise? Right? Did his, did his kid get a full ride scholarship to college? What happened that he's so happy about? I wrote it down to make sure we got it, we got it cleanly. This is, this is what happened. Uh, envious preachers, solitary confinement in prison, and ministry rivalry. Say what? Because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Paul, how can you do that? He says, because I live in eager expectation. Your faith expectations will impact what outcome happens in your faith journey. You have to know that and you have to understand that. Some of you know, in college, I have a business degree and I have a psychology degree. I enjoy studying, you know, how we think and how emotion, emotionally we're impacted and such. And, and I spent some time just on this whole area of optimism and pessimism. There's all kinds of research that is done with it. I don't have time and don't want to take the time to share with you. But just real quickly, signs that you may be a pessimist. You ready? Here it goes. You give up too quickly. You don't have any or you have very few super close friends. You know why? Because people don't like hanging out with pessimists. That's why some of us don't have super close friends. People walk on eggshells around you. The problem is we don't notice it. We don't realize it. You are overly suspicious of people. You discredit success. So when you are successful, you chalk it up to luck. That's a pessimist. 
And then the last one, sign that you may be a pessimist, you expect and sometimes are even entertained with bad news. Do you know people like this? Did you hear what happened this morning in the Ecuador? No, what happened? Massive earthquake. (gasps) Thousands of people died. No. Do you know someone in the Ecuador? No, just wanted you to know. Did you hear about the guy in Vallejo that hit and run? He's in ICU. Did you hear about him? No. Do you know him? No, just want you to know. Did you hear about the doctor in Florida? He's prescribing poison to his patients instead of good prescriptions. That's horrible. Do you have family in Florida? No, just want you to know. I don't want to know. I avoid those people. You're not allowed to do that. You're the pastor. Watch me. It is just, oh my goodness, you want to shoot yourself in the head after talking to this person. They're just like that. And on the flip side, the optimist. There's benefits to being an optimist. More fulfilling relationships, marriage, friends, co-workers, greater career success, significantly less stress. You overcome failure quicker. Optimists have better overall health. In fact, optimists live on average 8 to 10 years longer than pessimists. And here, get this, benefit of optimism, your witness is enhanced. Do you realize this? Think about this. If we're the kind of people that are shuffling our feet through life, right, and constantly negative on the world, right, why would our co-workers, classmates, and family members want to follow our God? Hey, how's it going? I guess, guess I'm doing all right. By the way, you want to come to church? Why? Why would they want to come to church? By the way, so let me just give you, get, di- from a diagram standpoint, the pessimist, is at zero, so to speak, let's say, and the extreme optimist is at 100, right? There's all these little tests you could take online very quick that kind of give you a numerical score of what you are and where you fall on this spectrum. But I want to be clear with you. The goal is not to be at 100. The goal is not to be an extreme optimist because the extreme optimists that may be here don't think realistically about life and about problems, right? You... It's, it's okay to be optimistic, but you also have to be realistic about your problems. Does that make sense? So when they do it, the ideal goal is 70 to 80. You want to be more than, you don't want to just be right in the middle. No, you want to be a step or two past the middle, but you don't want to be past 80 or 90. Because then you're, you're, it's almost like you're too optimistic. Does that make sense? What I want to do this morning, where we're going to spend our time, is we're going to be in Samuel chapter 17. Now, Even if this is your first time in church, you've heard the story before. It's the story of a young punk shepherd boy called David who goes up against a super soldier called Goliath. Everyone knows that story, even if you don't go to church or not. David and Goliath. And we use that story in sports in the business world. David defeated Goliath and there was an upset and so on and so forth, right? And I want to show you that David's success in the battle was based upon, in part, His faith optimism. In other words, he goes into the battle before knowing and believing he's going to win. And how that influences him. Now, on the first side of your study guide, here's what I want to talk to you about. We're going to talk about why. Why should you expect the best? Why should you be a faith optimist? I'm trying to convince you before I give you some action steps. Motivate you to do this. There's three reasons. Verse 46 is where we're going to start in Samuel 17. You can follow 
in your Bibles, or I also have it for you on the screen. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. In other words, you're a super soldier. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. They haven't fought yet. I'm going to strike you down, and I will cut off your head. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, that there is a one true God. Listen, one of the reasons you want to be a faith optimist is because it honors God. It honors God in terms of your perspective on life. Continue to read, starting in verse 49. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, David slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground, and he died. The first reason you want to be a faith optimist is because it honors God. But the second reason is because it increases our ability. All kinds of studies have been done. For example, in the sports world, as a coach... You, you want to not just prepare your team athletically and condition them. You don't want to just prepare them strategically. You also want to prepare them mentally. That's why they have these things called sports psychologists, where they're just trying to prepare what's going on between their ears. And if you walk out onto that basketball court or football field or, or volleyball game or whatever, believing that you can win actually has an impact on the outcome. It's a tremendous kind of... So, for example, in this particular case... All the Jewish and Israeli army are looking at Goliath and going, oh my goodness, he's so big, we can't beat him. And David, with his little slingshot, is looking at Goliath and going, he's so big, I can't miss him. <laughs> it's the same dude, and it's a completely different perspective. It, can, it affects the sporting world. It affects the school world. If you're a student... Studies have shown that when you go into class, when you go into a midterm, your ability to get a good grade... Oh, I almost lost it right there. Do you guys see that? That was exciting, wasn't it? If you're taking a midterm, your ability to get a B or an A, a good grade, whatever that is to you, to some extent is based upon your perspective when you sit down on that, on that midterm. If you sit there and go, I know this stuff and I'm going to get a good grade, you have a higher probability of doing just that. Now, let me be clear. You can be incredibly optimistic, but if you haven't studied, you're not getting an A or a B. You see what I'm saying? So you've got to study, but if you study and you have a right perspective, the probabilities go up. If you study and you sit down and go, oh, I, I hope I don't forget it, you've automatically knocked down your grade before you even know it. It's all kinds of studies. It affects the sporting world. It affects the school world. But what I'm most interested in is that it, it affects our spiritual world. Can I ask you a question? Do you think God has better things for you tomorrow than he had for you today? Do you think your spiritual journey can grow and improve next month more than it is today? You see, knowing that, believing that, living that will actually contribute to it being reality. You have to get this. You have to understand this. The last reason that is that it encourages others that I have faith, faith optimistic. Look what he says, verse, second part of verse 51. So I'm picking it up right at the end. This is after Goliath gets killed, okay? Because I'm picking and choosing. We don't have time to go to all the verses. When the Philistines saw that their hero Goliath was dead, they turned and ran. Now listen, for 40 days, they were talking smack. 
right? They thought they were all that. Bring it on, Jews, right? Oh, it was going on until this happened. Then they ran, right? Now look at the opposite. The men of Israel and Judah, they surged forward. For 40 days, they were cowering. They were afraid. Oh, my goodness, we're going to die, right? Not now. The men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout, and they pursued the Philistines, and then they ransacked their camp. You see, you being, you being faith, having faith that is optimistic, it, it not only honors God, it not only increases our ability, it encourages others. It encourages others. Let me explain it to you this way. Let's say you and I are on a plane, right? The plane goes down, it crashes, but we survive, and we end up on a deserted island, and we start kind of making life, kind of like Castaway, the movie, right? And there we are. And, and, you know, we build a hut to live in. Well, mainly you build a hut, and I watch and encourage you because I don't know what I'm doing. But we build a hut, we make some sort of, you know, weapons that we can get animals to eat and things like that. So we get fruit, we plant a little vegetable garden. No one's saving us, but we're making life. So go on, right? And then one morning you wake up and oh my goodness gracious, you have a terrible pain in your side, in your belly. <gasps> oh my, you just crippled over and you can't walk and it's just really painful. Very quickly we determine it's your appendix. Your appendix is about ready to, 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 to blow up inside of you, right? To, to, and, and that's not good, right? If your appendix severs inside of you, it's, it's poison all over and oh my goodness. Now, if, you, if it's that situation... Two options, what do you want? Option A, ready? I say to you, hey, did you know that Grey's Anatomy is my favorite show on TV? (laughs) I had a biology degree in college and I took extra classes in dissection. And this is gonna be weird to you. I mean, this is, you talk about coincidental. The month before we got on the plane, I just watched the health channel and they had this whole series on appendectomies. And they showed them on TV. Did you know that removing a human appendix is the simplest of all surgeries? And I watched it. And I just want you to know, I think I can perform the surgery. I think I can remove your appendix and save your life. Option A. Or option B. Dude, I think you're going to die. What would you prefer? Now, my confidence is not going to impact my ability to perform the surgery. But my confidence and my faith optimism certainly has an impact on you. Let me ask you a question. How is your faith optimism impacting the people around you? Are the people around you closer and stronger in their faith because of you? Because so much of it has to do with our faith optimism or faith pessimism. It's just that simple. I hope I've convinced you you need it. Now what I want to do on the back side of your study guide is I want to spend the rest of our time, I want to give you five action points. How to expect the best. How to become a faith optimist. And we're going to stay right in this story. And I'm going to show you five things that we all can do. Number one is you need to start your day with God. You need to start your day with God. Now, this is the one time I'm deviating from Samuel 17, but I'm still staying with the words of David. The story, right? He writes in the book of Psalms, in the morning, oh Lord, you hear my voice. Question, why? How? Well, apparently, David, he gets up in the morning, has a cup of coffee, and one of the first things he does is talks to God. We call it prayer. 
right? That's one of the first things he does. He has a little devotional time. He doesn't say, I spend three hours in Bible study. No, I have a little devo time. I read, you know, I do, I have my daily bread and I have, I read a couple of verses and I talk to God. In the morning, O Lord, when you hear my voice, in the morning, I lay my requests before you. Do you have requests? Requests about your family, requests about your health, requests about your career. You know what? I'm going to start my day. God, I got these issues, got these problems, got these concerns. I just want to bring them to your attention. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and here it comes. I wait in expectation. That's a key phrase for us this morning. Your expectation is going to impact your faith journey. Did you know that studies show that what you do in the first 15 to 30 minutes in your day has an impact on the entire rest of your day? Did you know that? Whatever you do, first 30 minutes impacts the rest of your day. So think about what you normally do right now. The problem is, you want to know what most of us do? We open up our laptop and reread the news. Have you noticed 90% of it is negative? Or we turn on TV and watch Bad Morning America. Right? Or we get in our cars, commute, and, and listen to talk radio because it's so uplifting and, and God-inspiring, right? No! No wonder you're all bummed out. The first 30, 40 minutes of your day is not uplifting to you. It's not positive to you. Could I suggest you tweak your morning? Could I suggest you look at what's happening here and going, maybe I need to make some changes? Give me seven minutes, you and God. Seven minutes in the first 30 minutes of your day. Watch what happens to you. Psalm 118, 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, which is his way of saying, let's expect the best and be glad in it. You see, some of us wake up in the morning and we're like, good morning, Lord. And others of us are, good Lord, it's morning. You know? How many would you uh, would admit, I wake up grouchy? Huh? And some of you would say, no, I let Grouchy sleep in and get as much sleep as he can. <laughs> Guys, tweak your morning. Change your morning, okay? Number two is you have to resist the attitude of fear. Resist the attitude of fear. Verse 3, Samuel 17. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another. I had the privilege when I was in college to go on a one-month trip, study trip to Israel. And we went with a, uh, a theologian and an archaeologist to the ravine and the hillside where we think this battle occurred. And once area, you, you had David and, and the Jewish army, and then you had this ravine, and on the other hill, you had the Philistines and Goliath. And, and it's the distance between like our stage right here and McDonald's. So it's a pretty big distance, but it's a natural amphitheater. So you can talk and, and kind of yell, and you can hear it from here all the way over to there, right? And they're, they, what's happening is they're smack talking each other, and everybody can hear. So you, verse 3, the Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites the other hill, a champion named Goliath who was good from Gath. He came out. His height was 6 feet 9 inches. If you have like an NASB or even an NIV, it will give you his height in cubits. Right, But I've tried to translate it for you. He's a big dude. He's a tall dude, okay? Goliath stood, and he shouted to the ranks of Israel. He didn't need a microphone. Everybody could hear him. This day, I defy the armies of the Lord. Now, this next phrase is very important. Ready? Here it comes. Give me one man. Give me one man and let, him, and let us fight. On hearing the Philistine words, watch. 
Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and they were terrified. I'm not going to spend much time on it because as we wrap up our series in a couple weeks, we are going to spend one entire week just on this theme. For the moment, here's what I want you to know. You need to understand that fear, worry, and anxiety will shipwreck your faith. Fear, worry, and anxiety will shipwreck your faith. There are some that say, other than sin, nothing, absolutely nothing is more destructive to your spiritual journey than the fact that you are consumed with worry and anxiety. By the way, your fears don't go away just by ignoring them. It's very interesting. To st- I don't have the time. I tried to fit it in, didn't have the time. But Hebrew scholars, when you read, especially in the Hebrew or like the NASB, there is a hint as to what Goliath is doing. Day number one, he st- starts at his hill and he smack talks the Jewish people and the Israelites. But as the days go by and we have 30, 40 days that are going by, there is indication that he doesn't continue right here. Oh, no, 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 no. As the days go by, he starts walking down his hill, gets to the ravine. And as the days go by, he starts walking up their hill. What's the point? The point is this. If you don't do to fear what David did to Goliath, he will continue to take more territory. He doesn't sit back and watch. He takes as much as he can take. And just like Goliath, you can't be accepting of him. You've got to figure out a way to kill him. We're going to spend two weeks talking about that in a couple Sundays. But for the moment, I'm going to give you a hint on how to do that. It is just an absolutely fascinating thing. Question, why did Goliath ask for one man and one man only? Why didn't the two two armies go to war? What are they waiting for? They're waiting for a month. What's happening? It's because what was known in those days as representative warfare. Representative warfare taught this. We don't want the Jewish army and the Israelites to fight the Philistines and their army because there's going to be thousands of casualties on both sides. There'll be a winner, but both sides lose because a lot of soldiers will die. So they came up with this concept called representative warfare. Here's what it meant. We pick one soldier from our team You pick one soldier from your team, and they go at it. But whoever wins between those guys wins for the entire team. And whoever loses, loses for their entire team. Does that make sense? Let's just get one-on-one, and then we at least save ourselves thousands of casualties on both sides. That's what he's waiting for. Bring it on. Give me one guy. We'll go at it. Now listen to me, because we're talking about fear. You want to know how to defeat fear? Do you realize that representative warfare is the exact same thing Jesus did for you on the cross? Jesus has a conversation with Satan. He's like, you want a piece of this? Okay, here we go. Here's what we're going to do. You and me, your team against my team. But whoever wins, wins the whole marbles. If I win, I win for my entire team. I win for all my people. They all get forgiveness if they want it and they embrace it. You see, you don't have to stand up to Satan because your representative, your representative soldier, Jesus, already did it for you. You just have to accept it. You have to live a life with Christ. And it's the first little hint to figure out a way to defeat anxiety, worry, and, and, and fear in your life. You've got to fight it. You've got to fight it. 
The third thing is you must eliminate negative words from your vocabulary. So the story starts with David off as a shepherd, and his dad says, hey, you should go to the battlefield, and you should take your brothers who are at the battlefield some sandwiches and some cheese, and, you know, take them something, some snacks. So that's how it started. He gets to the battlefield. He's like, who's this big dude yelling at us? What's going on? He starts talking to soldiers before he even bumps into his brother, or brothers. This part of the story explains to us what happens when his brothers see and hear him. Watch. David asked, he's asking the other soldiers, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Important question we're going to come back to later. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at David and he asked, why have you come down here? Hear the sarcasm? With whom did you leave those few little sheep in the wilderness you watch over? You know, you're conceited. You're wicked. You only came down to watch the battle. Did you see the difference in language? David, positive, hopeful, faith-filled. I'm going to take Goliath. Question, why did he ask about the reward? Why did he want to know, well, what's going to happen for whoever kills Goliath? What's the reward? You want to know why? Before the battle even starts, he has an inkling, I can beat that guy. That's why he wants to know. By the way, you want to know what the reward was? A chunk of cash, tax relief, and he gets to marry the king's daughter. Dang. I'll take that. But he's already, he's, he's faith-filled. I think I can pull this off. Now, did you notice Eliab, the brother? The brother is negative, pessimistic, hurtful, aggressive. I read a study by an author and psychologist called Dr. Seligman, and here's what he says. Listen, how you talk about and explain the small good things that happen in your life. So think about small good things that happen in your life. However you talk about them will either increase your personal success or hinder your future progress. When something good happens in life to the optimist, he takes credit. Hey, I heard you got a promotion at work. That's right. I deserved it. Right? I'm a better worker than Sally. I'm a better worker than Joey. I should have got the the, the raise. I should have got the promotion. That's how an optimist thinks. But when the same thing happens to a pessimist, they chalk it up to coincidence. And that invariably impacts your future. Question, how do you talk about you? What do you say about yourself? Whether outwardly and verbally or just right here between your ears. Do you realize you say things to yourself you would never allow someone else to say to you? And the question is why? You have got to control your negative language. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. James chapter 3. James talks about the power of the tongue. But then he spends most of the time talking about the destructive nature of the tongue in our words. And he says, do you realize how destructive your words can be? They're like a fire and they set a whole forest on fire. Just like it could set your entire life on fire. And it's doing it for some of you. 
You have got to be so incredibly helpful. Have you noticed, if you have kids, have you ever seen this? Have you ever noticed how they can talk themselves into being sick so they can skip school? (laughs) Think I'm getting a headache. I think I'm getting the flu. I think I need to throw up. And in some cases, they do. It's because your words can literally impact you physiologically. It's that powerful. Number four. How to be a faith optimist. You have to exercise and practice your faith. By the way, that's what Growth Track is all about. We have it in the program. We do it every month, first and second Sunday. It happens second service. It's our way of starting to help you grow in your faith. And if you haven't gone, you need to go. Okay? Now, we pick up the story where David is asking the king permission to fight Goliath. So David has now decided, I want want a piece of him. Before you go running out on the battlefield, you've got to go talk to the king. That's where we pick up the story. Verse 33. King Saul replied, you're not able to go out against the Philistines and Philistine and fight him. You're just a young man. Somewhere between 16 and 18. He's young, right? He's been a warrior from youth, right? Most kids, they play little league, little league baseball. They played soccer. Not Goliath. He was doing karate classes when he was young. He's been a soldier since day one. But David said to King Saul, Your servant, I I have been keeping my father's sheep. Well, that doesn't make me very confident. (laughs) Why should you take on Goliath? I'm a shepherd. Okay. And then he goes on. He says, When a lion or a bear came and carried off one of my sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it. I want you to think about this, right? Let's say you're a shepherd. Let's say we're shepherds. We're out in the middle of a field because you're by yourself. You got the flock that's owned by the family, right? You're looking this way, and all of a sudden, a mountain lion comes over here, grabs one of the sheep, sheep, boom, takes off with the sheep, right, for dinner, right? At that very moment, what would we do? What would I, you know what I would do? That's a bummer. (laughs) Not David. No, he takes off after. That's what it says. This guy's crazy. I went after it. Then I struck it, rescued the sheep from his mouth. Then when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. And then he adds, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Listen to me very carefully. God brought some of you here today to hear this next phrase. Listen. Giant killing faith. Giant killing faith comes when you practice on bears and lions. Some of you do not have a giant Goliath problem in your life right now. You know what you have? You have a mountain lion problem in your life. And what I'm trying to help you understand is what you do with your mountain lion will determine what happens when Goliath shows up in your life. And if you lose to Goliath, all I have to do is look back in your life at all the opportunities that God has given you to practice your faith and to grow your faith. And if you are resisting those, you are not preparing yourself for the bigger problems in life. Giant killing faith doesn't descend from the sky. It doesn't happen when you fill out the notes in your study guide. It doesn't happen because you're faithful at at small group or youth group. It happens when no one is looking out in the middle of the field, when no one sees you. It's those small decisions you make in life. Oh my goodness. 
Mountain lion just took the sheep. And then David hears in his, in his head, in his heart, God say, go do something about it. Really? What should I do? Go get him. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine how David felt the first time he did that? Can you imagine the adrenaline rush? He, he saves the sheep from the mountain lion. And then the next time, three weeks later, when the, when the bear shows up and takes a, a, a sheep, this time he's a little more confident. Right? So then when Goliath shows up, he stands and looks at Goliath and said, if God gave me the strength to beat the lion and to beat the bear, he's going to give me the strength to beat Goliath. His faith grew because he practiced on lions and bears. Number five, how do you become a faith optimist? You have to change your perspective. Verse 43, we're getting to the end here. Goliath cursed David by his gods. He said, come here and I'll give your flesh to the wild animals. David responded and it almost yelled back. He didn't talk back. He yelled back. Really? Listen to this, right? You come against me with sword and spear but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This keeps coming up over and over again. I come against you in the name of God and and the armies of Israel whom you have defied. It's all perspective. David's perspective is vastly different than Saul's perspective and the the Israeli army. Let me me show it to you and, and show you how perspective matters, right? In a visual form. Let's put the first picture up there. Yell it out. What do you see? A frog. It's a frog until you turn it sideways. And when you turn it sideways, it's a horse. It was up there the whole time. This takes a lot of skill as an artist to create that, right? You guys see this? One of the more famous ones. Let's put it up there. Look at it for a moment. How many of you see an old lady? Can I see your hands? An older lady. How many of you see a younger lady? A younger lady. By the way, the artist that drew this, you want to know what he titled it? He called it, he didn't call it young lady, old lady. He called it young lady, mother-in-law. I kid you not. Look it up online, right? Let me show you if you didn't see the young lady or the old lady. Look at it right now. If you didn't see the old lady or the younger lady, I'm trying to give you a cue. Do you see it now? One is the mouth. One is the necklace. One is the eye. One is the ear. One is looking forward or sideways. The other one is looking backwards. You see that? It's the same image, but it's a different perspective. This next one is very interesting. Put it up there. What do you guys see? You guys see the elephant? Okay, now I want you to look at the hump, the eye, and the ear area of the elephant. Do you see another image there? Do you see it? Okay, if you don't see it, I want you to squint, because sometimes optical squint, squint, see it? You guys see it? Actually, it's just an elephant. I'm just messing with you. (laughs) Some of you are like, I think I see a parakeet. the best part of church. Why should you guys struggle through that? <laughs> okay. Here's, let me show you the main one. You guys see the duck? See the rabbit? This is the famous one. Let's put the one up there. You can see it color coordinated now. One's looking this way. One's looking the other way, right? Guys, it's the same image. It's the same image, but depending on how you look at it and what perspective you have and what angle you have, it, it looks different and it appears different, but it's the same image. Some, some, I've told you that a lot of times when I'm doing study, I like to do a Google image search because we're so visual. And how we learn, if you're a teacher in any capacity, you need to learn to teach visually, right? And, and so I typed in this week, 
David and Goliath. And the main image that showed up looked like this. Let's put it up there. That's what it looks like. And that's how most of us see our massive problems in life. We're the little pipsqueak shepherd boy facing off against this super soldier called Goliath. And we barely have a chance. But as I started to look through the image, it was interesting to me. I found another one that gives us a perspective on David's perspective, and it's this one. You see it? Now listen, in the second image, Goliath is just as big. But you see that second image, and David is standing tall. He's still a a tiny pipsqueak. His chin's up high, and his chest is out, right? He doesn't have much muscles, but there he stands. Why is he so confident? Because he has a different perspective. He understands that with him, beside him, before him, is the angel of the Lord. He fights in the name of God. He doesn't going to defeat Goliath because of his power and his strength. He's going to defeat Goliath because of God's strength and God's power. And it's completely different perspective. So when you walk out this door, what side of the screen are you on? The left side, where you see life from only a human perspective, or are you on the right side where you see life from a spiritual perspective? You have to put on a new pair of lenses. You have to change your perspective on your problems. I started with one of these verses, but I didn't give you the context. In Mark chapter 9, a dad comes to Jesus and asks for healing for his son that has been sick. Jesus asks the boy's father, how long? Has he been like this? And the dad answered from childhood. Take pity on us and help us, Jesus. And Jesus answers him. He says this. And this is the verse I gave you. Everything is possible, but there's a condition for those who believe. And the dad's response is powerful. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I, I do believe. You see, I think you would say the same thing. I believe. But you also are smart enough to understand and to maybe say what this dad also says. But Jesus, help me. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me grow in my faith. Because instinctively, I think we all know that my expectations of what God can and wants to do through us, it's going to impact what happens. This dad gets it. God, Jesus, help me. I want to believe. I don't want to have this unbelief. Help me. How do I do that? Glad you guys asked. There's five things. You guys got to start your day different. I don't care you fill out your notes. Do something based upon what you've learned. If your attitude stinks, if you feel yourself down most of the day, reevaluate the first 15, 30 minutes of your life your day. Change it. Second of all, you have to fight fear. You have to fight anxiety. You have to fight worry. Well, that's just who I am. Well, get over it. You got to fight it. You got to resist it. You got to change your vocabulary. You got to talk differently about yourself and your life. You got to talk in a way that shows that you believe in a God that's got you. You got to practice your faith. You all, we all have smaller and medium-sized problems in our life. God has given you the opportunity to practice so that when Goliath comes, you got a chance to beat him. And finally, 
you got to change your perspective. you got to remind yourself who stands with you. Amen. Be a faith optimist because it will impact what happens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I especially want to pray for those that came in today a little discouraged, a little down, maybe even a little negative about life because of what's going on, because life's been a bummer for a while. And as hard as we work, things aren't changing. And today, today's been helpful for us. Father, regardless of where we're at on that scale of 1 to 100, help us take a couple steps forward. If we're at 30, help us get to 38. If we're at 50, help us get to 55. Whatever it is, help us move in the direction of being a faith optimist, knowing that what we expect of you, what we expect of our faith journey will impact Maybe not determined, but it definitely impacts the outcome. Father, thank you for your word. It's incredibly practical week after week after week. We're grateful for who you are. Continue to work in our lives and in our church. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.